Welcome to the most energetic, positive, happy, and healthy podcast in the world. Living the dream. Dream stands for diet, rest, exercise, attitude, and meaning. I'm your host, certified health coach, motivational speaker, sober since July of 2016, American Ninja Warrior competitor, two-time world record holder, and ultra-marathoner, Matt Scaletti. Here we go! Welcome back to the Live in the Dream podcast. I'm your host, Matt Scaletti, here with a very special guest, and a great friend of mine. This is Colleen Rue in the house. Get ready for this bio, buckle up. She is a two-time Iron Man or Iron Woman finisher, ultra marathoner, marathon maniac. I love that by the way, maniac, and an endurance race fanatic. She's a wife and mother of two teenagers and has 20 plus years of experience as a coach personal trainer and instructor in the fitness industry, known as the voice of the mountain at 29029 Everesting events. She has been all over the U.S. as a host, MC, and race announcer. Here's my favorite line of the whole thing. Colleen has an ability to connect participants with events in a way that fosters personal growth and develops bonds for life, hence our bond for life. Welcome to the show, Colleen. Oh, thank you so much, Matt. I am so excited that you invited me on here to talk. I'm so excited. Me and you both. I've met Colleen twice in person at 29029 events, and now we get to be on the podcast. I get to see her again later this year. I'm stoked. So let's hear some story. Let's hear about your background and your upbringing and how the heck you got to where you are today. And there's a bunch of different ways we can go, but let's hear about your background first. Yeah. I'm like, how long is your podcast, Matt? Because this, <laughs> I'm 43. So we got to go way back. Dropping well, the age right out the gate. I like it. Yeah. I'm like I said, I, I told Matt before open book, whatever you want to ask me, <laughs> 43 years old. So I was actually born and raised back in Boston, Massachusetts. That's where my family is from. I currently live in Southern Utah. Um, and I've been in Southern Utah since about 1989. So I, I lived like my early years in Boston, and then my family moved to Southern Utah. And I was raised in a family with my parents and my two brothers. I am the middle child and only girl. So I have an older brother who is a music producer in Los Angeles. And I have a younger brother who is actually a photography professor up in South Dakota. So I have very, very liberally minded, liberally art minded <laughs> brothers. And I am not that. <laughs> so I am definitely different from my brothers. And yet we have a lot of similarities as well. So I grew up as the only girl and I always loved fitness. I always had a personality that was just kind of fun loving. And my mom always looks at my 16 year old daughter now. And she's like, you weren't like that. You were much more easygoing. So <laughs> I have a very strong willed 16 year old daughter, which I love. I love that about her because she actually has a lot of qualities that I see in myself. Sometimes they're not my best qualities, but I still see them. <laughs> and so I was raised in this, you know, relatively small family. My dad worked for Walmart for 20 plus years. And so I always say I'm the princess of Walmart because anything <laughs> Walmart, I always knew the answer because I was in a small town in Utah. 
And I actually went to college in Southern Utah as a political science major. I wanted to be an attorney. Uh, when I was 16, I started working in a law firm because my mom was a legal secretary. I was cleaning the bathrooms and doing filing. And that kind of built its way up until I was a legal secretary and I was in political science. I also had jobs where I worked as victim services. So I worked with victims of sexual and physical abuse. And wow. I worked at the prosecutor's office and helped with victims. I also helped with children victims in the guardian ad litem's office. So I had this whole like plan for my life that I was going to be an attorney and do all this stuff. And I'm not an attorney, just in case you're wondering. <laughs> I'm not. Well, like what happened? I'm so curious. I didn't know this part of the story. Yeah, this it's a weird story, Matt, with a lot of twists and turns. I think I have to preface it with the, the fact that I also coming out of high school, I, I was a dancer in high school. I'm 5'11". I am a very tall woman. I'm a, I tell people I'm a large woman. So I was not involved in a lot of sports. I tried my hand at some sports. I didn't really love them. You would think that I would be a basketball player. You would think that I would be a great volleyball player. It just wasn't my thing. I just didn't love it. And my dad, I always tell people that he told me when I was younger, he was like, you shouldn't run. You're just too big for that. And I was like, okay. So I didn't do a lot of running, but I did a lot of dancing. So I danced all through high school and into college. And fitness was a big part of my life because I had an aunt who would take me to fitness classes all the time. And I had get in shape girl. If you're old enough to remember what that was, I did the Jane Fonda workouts when I was like 10 and 11 years old. <laughs> fitness was always a big part of my life as well. So it kind of paralleled with this political science, wanting to become an attorney and the fitness world. They just kind of paralleled each other and they worked together where I started teaching fitness classes in summer of 1996 when I graduated from high school. And so I've always done that. So yeah, I wanted to do that, but where did it, where did it shift? Where did it change? I guess that's kind of, it, it's such a, a conglomeration of a story. I actually was married very, very young. I got married when I was 19 the first time and I was married for three years and I was going to college at that time in political science. Unfortunately, that marriage ended three years later, and I was kind of thrust into this world as this young 20-year-old girl to kind of find myself not really knowing what to do. And so I actually got an opportunity to do an internship in Washington, D.C. for a Utah senator. So I was like, I'm out of here. I just said I was ending that relationship. I needed something new. So I moved to Washington, D.C., I worked on Capitol Hill for a little while and then was given the opportunity to work in a private law firm, which I worked in for three years as a paralegal. And I, I loved it. I loved the people I worked with. They were amazing. But I realized I didn't want to be an attorney. Like I watched these attorneys and I was like, these associate attorneys were working like 70 hours a week. And I saw these women who were having babies and they couldn't be home with their babies. And it was all about billing. And I just, I didn't want that. I loved my job. I loved where I worked. I loved the people who I worked for, but I just didn't want that. 9-11 also happened when I was in Washington, D.C., and that's a whole nother story in my life where I actually lived across the street from the Pentagon. And that really, like, it kind of shook me at my core a bit. And I kind of sat back and was like, I don't want to be an attorney. I don't want to do this. I want to do this. And I just, it kind of made me 
rethink some things. And so I started down a different path. I went back to school. I got my fitness credentials so that I could start coaching and personal training and got into that. I didn't know. I didn't know any of that story. I mean, it, I definitely didn't know the Pentagon. So you were legitimately across the street when that all went down. Yeah. So I actually lived right there in Pentagon City. If you are familiar with the area where the Pentagon is, Pentagon City is right there. And I lived in the apartment buildings in Pentagon City. I lived on a 17th floor apartment that overlooked the Pentagon, the site of the Pentagon that actually got hit by the airplane. I worked downtown at 600 Pennsylvania Avenue. So the morning of 9-11, I left, you know, it must have been probably 8, 8.30 in the morning. And I got went underground because I took the subway to work every morning. So I went underground. While I was underground, the plane must have hit. And so I came out of the subway downtown and things were a little weird, but I didn't know what was going on. Nobody really knew what was going on. I went up to my office. I remember the first thing I would always do because we had very slow internet then is I would go and I would open like CNN because I would sit down, I'd go get my bagel and things like that. And I remember like the internet was really, really slow that day. I was like, what's going on? And I couldn't see anybody in the office. And so I started walking around to my attorney's office and I got there. And I remember the first image I saw because he had a TV, an old TV in his the corner of his office. And I saw people jumping out of the Twin Towers. And I saw that image and I was like, what's going on? And then I realized what was going on and that a plane had hit the Pentagon. And of course, being in downtown DC, they were really concerned about another plane coming for the Capitol, which we now know was Flight 93. And So it was like, you guys need to leave. They were scrambling jets from Edwards Air Force Base and we could hear that going on. It was a very surreal moment in time for me. I had no idea that you, I didn't even know you lived there and went through all of that. So how long after that all happened, did you shift into the fitness world? And tell us a little bit about what you did right out the gate in the fitness world. When I was in DC, I was teaching. I was teaching spinning classes and I worked at a couple of different gyms, like some Gold's gyms and some Bally Total Fitness. Again, I'm showing my age on I this know mat. <laughs> I know Bally's. I'm 38. I know Bally's very okay. well. Okay. <laughs> so Bally Total Fitness. I, there was one in Pentagon City. I don't even know if it's still there. I don't even know if Bally's is still around, but I was teaching at a brand new Bally's in Pentagon City. I worked at a Gold's gym um, as well. And so I was teaching those classes, but I was working full-time as a paralegal. I did my first marathon in 2001, just a month after 9-11 happened. It was the Marine Corps Marathon. And back then in 2001, the course actually ran on the grounds of the Pentagon and around the Pentagon. It doesn't do that anymore, but it did back then. And that year, we didn't even know if we were going to have that marathon because of all the debris and everything they had to, we actually ran right by the debris field during that marathon. It was crazy. There was armed guards there. It was like my real first taste of like, oh my gosh, the world is different. The world is different a month later after 9-11. And so I was in the fitness world and I stayed in Washington, DC until it was about August of 2003. I stayed there and I had been in some other relationships and those weren't going where I wanted them to go. And it was like, I needed another fresh start. I wanted to do something different. And so my brother lived in Los Angeles at the time and he had a roommate named Adam who he had gone to college with. And 
Adam started talking to me on the phone, which Adam does become my husband down the road. Uh, yes, I, yes. Mar- I married my brother's best friend. <laughs> <laughs> and so I decided to go to California. They were like, come, come to LA and you can go to school here. It's really cheap to go to school in Los Angeles at the community college. And they had some fitness programs. And so I went to Los Angeles and started personal training there and started working a little bit more and going back to school. I didn't stay there for very long though. I apologize to all of your California listeners. I just didn't love LA. I just did. I am an (laughs) East coast girl at heart. Like give me Boston, give me DC, give me Philly. Like I just, I don't do as well in California. Hey, you got, you got to do you right. You know, you the best. So I, I'm so curious to ask this and I didn't even plan on asking this. So for the younger listeners or viewers, and I even think about your 16-year-old, what advice do you give for somebody who's in, maybe they're starting out in an industry and it's almost like you knew that wasn't the right way, the right path for you. Do you have any advice for somebody who's feeling similar to that and like how you make the jump into a different path? You know, it's, and I feel like I've jumped. So I jumped into the fitness world, but then I also jump into this race announcing world down the road as well. And when I'm teaching my kids and I always say to my kids, you know, I want them to have plans for their future, like what they want to do and being in striving for something, but always being willing to explore the left-hand turn because you just don't know what's down that left-hand turn. And particularly when I got into radio, which really started my race announcing and what I do today, it was a single text message from someone I had a connection with from the fitness world who just asked me, the text was this simple, have you ever considered being in radio? And I was like, nope, not a day in my life. No, I don't even know what that means. I don't know what you're talking about. Like my brother did radio. My husband had done a radio program in in college. I have no idea what you're talking about. So I think my biggest takeaway is have a plan, have a goal, keep working towards that, but explore the options that are presented to you because you just don't know where they're going to lead. And they might lead you like to me. I mean, I had a moment in my life where I was like, oh my gosh, this is what I was supposed to do. Like this call it spiritual, whatever belief system you have, I knew in my soul, this is what I was put here to do. Not that being an attorney was bad, not that my fitness world was bad, but that that left-hand turn and being willing to explore this weird left-hand turn led me to that place where I was like, yeah, this is it. I was in my late thirties, but it was it. You get this text message, you're in the fitness world. Have you ever been in radio? You know, you never have. Was it the first radio gig you did and you were thinking, this is it? Or was it like you sucked at first and you had to get better, but you loved it? So it was interesting because I had never done any radio. I think I cut a radio ad. That's where he had heard my voice was I had cut a radio ad because I was a race director for a local event. So he cut a radio ad. And that was playing locally. And he was looking for female talent. And he that's why he reached out to me originally. He showed me how to do it. And he's like, just do a, a weekend show. I was doing like six to midnight on Saturday and Sunday. That's like the death blow to all like radio <laughs> shows is six to midnight. Because nobody's listening. You can screw up as much as you want at six to midnight. 
<laughs> so he put me on there and I started doing that for a couple of weeks. Had no idea what I was doing. I, I mean, no training. I'm, there's people in this studio that have gone to school for radio. I'm just like Joe Blow putting on headphones and just doing me in a microphone. <laughs> and it was interesting because Chris is his name. He was the operations manager. And he was the husband of a good friend of mine that I had met through the fitness world. And he's like, you're really good at this. And I was like, okay, I'm just doing me. I didn't know any better. I didn't know any different. I was just doing my thing. And so I, I liked radio. And as I found my voice in radio and got different opportunities in radio, then I developed more opportunities in live announcing, live hosting and emceeing. And that's where I really found my passion and kind of melded everything that I was good at together into one single place. I'm so excited to go down this path because for those that don't know, when I met Colleen in Utah, uh, what was that? 2021, yep. this Everesting event, it was so obvious to me that she was doing something she loved and the way that she announces people and just the energy you have, whether it was right when it started or midnight, you just brought it. And I've never seen that sustained level of energy with an MC, and I've still never seen it. And I think that's what drew me to you so much the first time I met you. And I, per your, we were talking about this before recording, but per your bio, and I, I love this, you foster personal growth and bonds for life. And I meant what I said, like, I have a feeling you and I are going to be friends for life. And it started it because you were crushing it as an MC. Can you talk a little bit about that? And I know we talked about the word connection, which you seem to be unbelievably good at and how you do that consistently, because it's not like you do it once a year. You're doing this all the time. Yeah, I think when I found that voice for like race announcing and things, I didn't really know what I was doing. I think a lot of times when we're talented at something or when we're good at something, I hate to talk about myself. Number one, can I just say that? Like, it just like, <laughs> I, I hate to be like, I'm good at this. So I'm just- She is. I'll I'm say it. She's so it. good at this. She's so good at this. <laughs> so I will say it. It's <laughs> hard for me to do that. But as I started doing this, you know, my husband was probably the first one who realized that he's like, you are able to do something different. Like, I can't do what you do. He's like, sure, I can give anybody a computer and they can read people's names, but I can't do what you do. And for me, when someone's approaching me, let's just say it's a finish line. I do a lot of half marathon finish lines. I'm, I only see people at the start line and I see a giant group of 2000 people and I see people at a finish line. At the finish line, my favorite moments are those moments when things aren't really busy. And I see Matt Scaletti coming towards him and your name comes up on my computer. And maybe I have a little blurb of something about you. I know how old you are or where you're from or something like that. But I can just look at you and we can have this moment where our eyes meet. I know your name and I can be like, Matt, how you doing out there? You look awesome. Go get your finisher's medal. And in that moment, we can create something. And I think it's facing people and looking them in the eye and speaking their names. When we speak each other's names, it's really hard because I go to some events where they don't give me the ability to know people's names. I am not a savant in knowing people's names. People <laughs> always, they accuse me of that. They're like, how do you know everything? And I'm like, well, because your name's like on your bib. So that's how I know it. 
<laughs> and I'm just able to take that information and do something with it. And so that connection by speaking somebody's name, by looking at them, by giving them a little bit of myself. And I think my experience as an athlete, my experience as a mother, my experience as someone who's gone the whole gamut of feeling good, feeling bad, having a good race, having a bad race. I feel like all of that, my husband always says, you just know when someone's going down, you just know when someone's doing okay. You just, you have this way of knowing that. And I think it's because you can look at somebody and you can see that. And if you can tap into that moment, and if I can know that Matt Scaletti had a hard day out there in the half marathon, because I can see it in your face, I can tailor what I'm going to say to you so that we can have that moment where I'm like, hey, you're here, you're upright, you're doing awesome. And we can have that different connection. Maybe I see somebody else that they've, you know, they've got their hands in the air and they're excited and they're dancing their way down the finish line. Then I can meet that energy on a different level. But I gave you what you needed and I've given them what they needed. I love that. And it seems like that's not even just for being an MC in an event. Like anybody could use that advice in life, right? Like learning somebody else's name, looking them in the eye, showing that confidence and caring. Like to me, it was you cared and you truly cared about every single person. And I don't think you know this, but the last time I went up on my last ascent, you had just started. It was early in the morning. And I don't remember exactly what you said, but I was fine emotionally until you said something that just put me over the top with joy. And we'll talk about joy in a second. I'm excited to talk about that. And then the whole way up the mountain, for those that are not have not seen this, you can hear Colleen for like a good 20 minutes as you're going up the side of the mountain, just encouraging every single person. And it's energizing to an athlete and to people that are going through pain. And I just want to say how much I appreciate that. Oh, I love that. It gives me chills to even think about it because those are the moments I love, those moments when we do make that connection. And, and they're connections that, they're not superficial for me. They're deep for me. There's so many times I find myself crying. I find myself crying with joy. I find myself crying with sadness. I've held people who are just distraught and they're sick and they aren't going to make it. And they're just losing everything. And I, I spend those moments with them, but I also spend those joyful moments when someone has risen to a challenge that they never thought possible. And I feel like I have this front row seat to just the best in everybody. It's it's such a privilege for me, such a privilege. Do you ever have, uh, along those lines, do you ever have a day, like it seems to me like you rise to the challenge of being an MC, no matter how you're feeling. Like I would have no idea. You just always seem like you're on your A game. Like, do you ever show up at an event and you're like, oh, I can't believe I got to do this, but then you bring it either way? Or are you are you just so excited to be doing what you're doing every time that you don't even have to like gear yourself up? You know, that's an, it's an interesting question that I've not really thought a ton about. I'm usually pretty excited, especially once I get there and I start talking to people. Cause sometimes when you're going into these really long events, like I was just emceeing and race announcing a hundred mile, hundred K 50 K and a half marathon event. Those are very long events where I, unlike 29029, where I get to see you guys a lot through the 36 hours that we're together. These runners, I don't get to see as often. So I don't get to make as many connections because they leave me and then I don't see them back for maybe 30 hours. I mean, it's a long time out there. 
they're out there without me. And so those are different events. And even, and those are harder events just because they're different like that. And there's not as much connection to build off of, but I can't say that I ever get to an event and I'm disappointed that I'm there because as soon as I see these faces, like I would see you, Matt, and you would come up and be like, Colleen, how are you doing? And it's like this energy that all these people bring to me. I truly get the best of everybody. I get the best part of you. I get the you that's excited, that's ready to go, that's nervous. And so when I get that back, it just kind of feeds my energy and then I can give it back if that even makes sense. No, that makes a ton of sense. And I think you do such a good job of matching that energy or even being a notch higher than that. So you bring us up even higher, which was something that I noticed as well. So no, I think that makes a ton of sense. And we talked briefly about this. So I want to dive a little deeper if you're open to it on clearly your job. And this is one of the things I was most impressed by is demanding. I mean, you were out there, if the event was 36 hours, I think you were out there 30 plus hours of the 36. I don't even think I saw you go to the bathroom, which that's a whole other topic, but you're, it is, it was that's just, a funny topic as well. <laughs> <laughs> well, feel free to share if you want, but like, you said when the event is over, you're, I'm sure you're gassed, but you're full of joy. And we were talking about this idea of joy and happiness. Can you speak to that a little bit and what, what fills your cup up with joy and maybe even get into the difference in, in your opinion of joy and happiness? Yeah, I'll tell you a story. In 2019 is when I started with 29029. And, and I truly feel like I had been finding my voice as a race announcer, but I found something at 29029 that I had never found before. And so in 2019, I was able to join the 29029 team. They were brave enough to give me a microphone, <laughs> not even knowing me and or anything, giving me a microphone and allowing me that opportunity to work with all of the people in the community that comes along with 29029. And I had... I had been to Snow Basin. That was my first 29 on 29 event. And I didn't know what to do. I was so nervous going into, I'm never nervous for an event, never nervous <laughs> for an event. When I got to Snow Basin 2019, I was like butterflies in my stomach. I was telling my husband, I'm like, I don't even know because 29 on 29 is a high end event. There is a high expectation. They also deliver a very high quality product. So I knew that I needed to do that as well. They also didn't know me and they didn't want to spoil that high quality event with some zany, crazy MC who was <laughs> going to be really annoying for 36 hours. That's fair. And so, yeah. you know, there, there was kind of that, I remember at one point and I, I always go back to this Mark Hodelik, who's one of the co-founders he had said to me, and I don't even know if you remember saying this, I need to ask him one day. He's like, don't talk too much is what he had said to me. <laughs> and I was like, oh shoot. And I was mulling this over with my husband. I'm like, oh my gosh. And I was so nervous about it. And we kind of got going and I was starting to get into the flow because it was a flow I was not familiar with. I was pretty, pretty much creating a flow. And I finally looked at my husband. And I'm like, you know what? Screw it. I'm just doing me. And if they hate it, they will never have me back and I, it'll be fine. And so I just did me and me was great. And me was awesome with the participants. And it was everything I wanted it to be from the event. And it became everything that they had wanted that they probably didn't even know they wanted. 
And so fast forward from Snow Basin, I kind of cut my chops on that. And then I went to Vermont, which closes out the 29029 season. And this was in 2019. And I had worked the event. It was so cold. A nor'easter had come through that year. We had 30, 40 mile an hour winds. Tents were flooded. We had to move people into hotels that were supposed to be sleeping in tents. I had stood outside for 30 plus hours in snow pants and snow gear. And I, I was just hammered. It was cold and windy. And my hat's off to anybody who got even one ascent on that mountain that weekend. It was, it was a tough, tough weekend. And I went home after the awards ceremony and everything. The event was over. We did the awards. And then Sunday, we just kind of get up and do breakfast. And I, I was alone. I found myself alone that morning. I woke up, I took a shower and I got ready. And I remember I walked outside and all the fall foliage in Vermont is just amazing at that time of year. And I walked out there and I had the most overwhelming feeling of joy, like spiritual joy of you were put here to do exactly what you did this weekend. Oh, and it was powerful for me. It was, it was one of those moments that I go back to whenever I doubt what I'm doing and I doubt my path. I'm like, just remember it was confirmed to you in that moment in Vermont. And it's, it's like palpable to me, that feeling that I had what it was like, someone was saying to me, this is why I put you here. Keep doing it. It makes me emotional to think about it, Matt. It should. I mean, that's an incredible story. And I, I'm a very spiritual person as well. And so it's, it's very deep for me to think about that. And that's kind of what propels me is that knowledge of like, you are here to connect people. You're here to, if, if you can lift somebody up in, in that moment that you get to talk to them. And I'm not, it's not like I'm good at this all the time. Sometimes I feel like I can connect with everybody else except my own children. So there's some vulnerabilities <laughs> there as well. But, but I do know at my core that that connection and that joy that I felt in that moment is good. And that's that I need to keep on that path. I love that story. I didn't know that story either. And do you often go back and relive that moment that you had when you were by yourself? And do you need that? Do you need to sort of reassure yourself as your life moves forward that remember how I felt and this is what I'm here for? Yeah, I I do. I do. When things get busy and I feel overwhelmed or there's a lot of demand for my time and things like that. And it's like, that's kind of my guidepost. That's the reason. Don't you remember that feeling? That's the reason why you're here. So whatever's leading you down that path, that's the path that you should be on. So it is, it's my guidepost right now in my life. I, I love it. And, it. and I love that you, you mentioned that you have a lot going on in your life because I do find myself thinking, I thought about this after I met you. I'm like, wonder where Colleen's at this weekend or like, I wonder where she's flying to or what events she's doing. Cause I know you go all over the United States. I want to ask you, especially for the parents that are listening or watching this, how do you balance your time being a runner, clearly a full-time MC and, and you travel a lot with being a parent? One of the things I feel like I noticed about you and you tell me if I'm wrong or not, but it seems like you do an amazing job of not over judging yourself and you're just you and authentic and you can't fake 
what you're doing for 36 hours, I don't think. Do you have a way that you balance your time to make sure you're carving out time for your husband, your kids, work, and how do you do it all? Yeah, and it's, it is a balance and it is carving because, you know, especially in the last few years, you know, COVID was different. COVID shut everything down for a minute and we all kind of were in shock during that period of time. But, but racing and events came back with a vengeance in 2021, so much so that we traveled 26 of the 52 weekends last year to events. And how do you balance that? It, it is always a challenge for me because I do love what I do so much that it almost doesn't feel like work, if that makes sense. It's something I could do all the time and I could jump on and communicate on social media with people that I know and things like that, because my job extends to that as well, where it's like keeping those connections going that I might've made with other people. And so there is always a balance. I, I'm an athlete. I love to run and I carve out time every single morning. I would get up at two o'clock in the morning if I needed to, to make sure that I get my run in. I've done that before because I love that time. That time when I can put on an audiobook and nobody's asking me questions. I'm not a mom. I'm not a race announcer. I'm not a radio personality. I'm just me and I can just zone out. And so that time is really important to me. So I always try to carve that out. I try to make it early in the morning so it doesn't impact my kids. What I do love about my job right now is I do have, I do travel a lot and there's a lot of demands on my time, but I can do a lot of it from home. I can also have that flexibility of saying, oh yeah, I can't meet right now because I got to go pick kids up from school. So I feel like there's a lot of flexibility built in there and that really helps. I know last year when it was 2021, my husband and I were actually supposed to go do a big event in Colorado for a week. And we made the decision to defer that and actually take our kids on a trip to the Florida Keys and said, because we had been traveling so much and we hadn't had time to really spend with our kids. And so, you know, sometimes letting some of those things go and sacrificing, we don't, we definitely don't race ourselves as much as I used to at all. Like I barely get a race in here or there um, every once in a while. So just carving out those moments. And when we do have time, making those times really worthwhile. Even if you're busy, you can still just carve out that time and that whole quality, like make it quality time when you do it. And I am so not a perfect parent. Oh my gosh. Parenting is probably my biggest vulnerability. Like I said, I can be on the mountain and I can work for 36 hours and I can bring and cheer everybody on. Parenting, that's when you're talking about my vulnerability. That's when you're talking about like, wow, I am not good at this. And <laughs> I'd rather go to the mountain and talk to all those people than try to figure out parenting some days because it's hard. I mean, I wouldn't know yet, but from what I hear, that's the hardest job on the planet, but also rewarding as well, I guess. Yeah, it's rewarding. It has its days. I'm in the teenage years and some people love teenagers. And I think I do like teenagers better than babies, but boy, do they definitely teach you a lot about yourself, which is great. I think we will look back in a few years and be like, wow, we, we all grew a lot during that time but it's challenging. I'm not going to lie. That's my vulnerability where I'm like, wow, Colleen, step it up a bit. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I do think it's so fascinating talking to parents about 
just different parenting strategies and what the values they're instilling in their kids. Like do your kids run? Are they taking any similar paths that you took when you were a teenager? And can you, without bias, just want them to do their passions? Or is it hard to not say like, get them into the sports and fitness and things that you did? My kids absolutely hate running. They do not (laughs) want to run at all. They don't want to hike. They don't want to do anything. Um, Part of that is they're just teenagers. And so I just, I still hold out hope in my life because I didn't get into running until I was 18 years old. It wasn't something I did in high school or I'm not a very, you know, gifted athlete or anything like that. And so I really try hard to let my kids figure out what they want, but I also do drop little things like my son. He's definitely not somebody who gravitates towards sports, which is totally fine. He has a mind for like engineering and art, and he's much more like my brothers, which is awesome. But I also want him to be physically fit. I know he's actually a really good mountain biker. He just doesn't have that passion. And so we kind of like, okay, you're going to go to mountain bike practice today and you're going to do that. And so I think trying to drop those nuggets, but at the end of the day, it was like he was, I was having him play the piano for a while and he's like, I'm done. I don't want to play the piano. And I'm like, okay, as much as I want him to play the piano, I just couldn't fight that battle. And I think that's maybe my parenting style that I'm falling into now is fight the battles that you need to fight. Don't fight the battles that you don't need to fight. And that. That's a constant thing that I'm working on because my type A personality doesn't like that very much. But I, I do think, you know, like let them, let them kind of grow and spread their ring, wings and then I'll have a minor anxiety attack by myself quietly as I'm nervous about them doing things. But go you, you're doing great. <laughs> I love how they could be just dislike running with all of their being. And that's clearly one of your greatest joys. That's just God's way of having a sense of humor, right? It, it is. And I, it's interesting because I, we took our kids to the Grand Canyon because my kids have come with us a lot. They travel with us a lot. And especially when they were a little bit younger and they weren't quite so busy, they would travel with us. And we did a half marathon series that was around national parks. So we were always in the national parks. And we were in the Grand Canyon one time and I was like, we are hiking in the Grand Canyon, kids. Come on, here's a pole and let's go. And we hike our little kids down a couple of miles on the South Rim and then back up and, you know, the complaining, so much complaining. But what's funny is to hear like my daughter in particular be like talking to her friends and be like, yeah, I've been under the rim at the Grand Canyon. I mean, you know that not many people actually go under the rim in the Grand Canyon, but yeah, we went down to like the, the mile and a half rest house and it, and it was, it was so great down there. And so it's interesting because I do think that they do appreciate it on some level, but you know, not on the same level that I wish they would and have the beautiful moments. I'm always like, look, kids, look how beautiful they're like, do we have to keep going? Can't we just turn around right now? <laughs> But then she did have some pride in her accomplishments yeah, after the fact. Yeah, it's there somewhere. I think it's just buried underneath. We're complicated human beings. So. <laughs> hey, are, aren't we all? I mean, I, yeah. I hear you on that. And I want to be respectful of your time, but I, if you're open to it, can we get into your running and ultra running and everything yeah. you've done in that? You bet. Wait, we could be here all night. I, I know. I know. <laughs> I'm like, we're have- going to I can actually work for like 30 hours if we need to. So we can just keep going. (laughs) I might need a break. There aren't many people I think that have more energy than me. And you you got me B calling. I got to admit it. I think I admitted it the day I met you, but I'll admit it uh, uh, verbally so all can hear as well. 
Uh, well, I don't know. I don't know about that. You're a pretty energetic guy when it's five o'clock in the morning. So <laughs> it's my favorite part of it. Well, so, so is it yours? Your favorite yep. part of the favorite part of the day. Okay. So, so you did the first 2001 Marine Corps marathon, which I was honored to do one, I think in 2019, that was one of the most emotional marathons I've ever seen. Can you give us some of your running history and what you've done and maybe some if you want to share some setbacks you had to overcome, and I want to get into the mindset and all that fun stuff too, but, but give us a little bit of the background strictly of the, the running or Ironmans or wherever you want to go with it. Yeah. So I, uh, like I said before, I danced in high school. So I was a dancer in high school and I came out of high school, was a fitness instructor, started teaching spinning and everything like that was working for some local gyms in Cedar city, Utah. And we had a local triathlon that was coming to town and there were some people in the gym who were going to do it. And I was like, you know, I can run six miles. It was an Olympic distance triathlon. And I was like, sure. I, I swam a little bit in middle school, so I'm very comfortable in the water. And I was comfortable on the bike. I was doing some long distance biking and, uh, you know, I was, I was good. So I'm like, okay, let's, let's do some triathlon. And so I was about probably 20, 19, probably 19 years old. And I did my first Olympic distance triathlon. It was terrible. I was terrible. You know, I had blisters everywhere. I wore some weird like wakeboarding wetsuit. And I I mean, there it's just so funny to go back and see. We didn't have bike stands and transition. It's not what you th- see today. It was definitely old school triathlon, but, but it was fun and I enjoyed it. And at that point, I started running a little bit more. So yeah, I was about 19. And when I moved back to Washington, D.C., I had some coworkers who had encouraged me to get involved with running for charity for the 2001 Marine Corps Marathon. So I ran Marine Corps two years, 2001, 2002. And I don't think I ran it 2004, but that was my first marathon. And from there, I just continued to run a couple of marathons here and there. I was doing a lot of long distance bike riding because I moved from Washington, D.C., I moved to California and was biking. And then I moved back to Utah and had a lot of friends who were in the long distance endurance bike world. We would ride to 114 miles or something like that. And so I met some really good friends and spent a lot of time in the saddle on the bike. So I really liked that. And at that time, I was with my my new husband, my, my current <laughs> husband, Adam. I hate to say that. I mean, they were both great guys, but yeah. um, that's a whole different story. But <laughs> anyway, so I was doing that and I got pregnant with my first baby. And that was in 2005 that I got pregnant with her. And Adam was training for his first marathon when I ended up getting pregnant. So we didn't end up running that together, but he went on and trained for that. I ended up having Sydney January of 2006. And it was interesting for me because after I had my first baby, my body really changed in a good way, like in a positive way. And I know a a lot of women can't say that and different women struggle with different things. But for me, I kind of found my endurance and my body kind of leaned out and I turned into the athlete that I was, would become in the next, you know, few years after that. And so I really dove into triathlon after I had Sydney. I got pregnant with my second baby in 2008 and had him in September 2008 and was doing a marathon here in between having a baby and dabbling in some short distance triathlons and things. And when Jake was almost, I guess he was almost two years old, I did my first half Ironman distance. It wasn't an Ironman. It was just a 
I don't even know what to call it. They called it a half Ironman. It was called the Utah half, but you can't use that term anymore because Ironman owns 70.3 and and half Ironman and everything like that. So it wasn't, (laughs) it was back in the day. Again, I'm old. Remember that. So I did my first half Ironman and I really liked it. I, I did well and I really enjoyed it. I was kind of finding my endurance. And from 2010 to about 2013, I was heavily involved in triathlon. It was the first time in my life that I actually got a coach. I invested in coaching, which was awesome. I learned why I felt so, you know, weird after I ran every marathon because electrolytes actually help and things like that. I learned so much that I had never, never even thought of. And so it really developed me into a better athlete. And I did my first full Ironman distance, which was an actual Ironman here in St. George, Utah in 2012. We had 30 mile an hour winds on the bike. We had swells in the water that were three to four feet high. And the temperature was probably like 85 to 87 degrees when we finished. So it was a brutal, brutal day, but I loved it. And I loved all the training leading up to Ironman. I loved it. And my kids were at a young, young enough age. There's like the sweet spot when your kids are like preschool and early elementary school where as a mom, and I was a stay-at-home mom at the time, you can do a whole lot of training and not really affect the kids because you're home all the time. So when you leave for 10 hours on a Saturday and you've been home all week, it's you don't have that mommy guilt. So it was kind of a sweet spot for me at that time. And after 2012, I really enjoyed what I was doing. And I went on in 2012 to qualify for the World 70.3 Championship that was going to be in Las Vegas. And in doing that, I competed a full distance Ironman in May of 2012. And I was going to try to qualify for this world championship in July. And so I didn't recover very well after my first Ironman. And I kept pushing and pushing and pushing and pushing and pushing. And I went to Lake Stevens. That was an old Ironman. It's not on the, it's not on their schedule anymore, but it was Lake Stevens, Washington, And I competed up there in a 70.3. It was raining. It was the worst conditions for me because I am a terrible technical biker and it was slippery and there was a lot of turns and it was like, I hated it, but I was able to get myself a spot to go to 70.3 Worlds. And a month later, I was still training because Worlds was in September. And so I had done my first Ironman in May. I raced in July at Lake Stevens. I had this world championship on my schedule for the second weekend of September. And basically by the time I got there, there was nothing left in the tank. It was the worst race of my life, partly because the conditions were very difficult that year. It was 103 degrees is what the high temperature got up to that year. The water temperature was 83 in Lake Las Vegas when we started. So the water was hot you got out of the water and it was hot. The bike was hot and managing electrolytes in that kind of hot and dry temperatures is just, it. I mean, it's just a really, really difficult, it makes for a really difficult thing. And there's our, my finish line photo at the 70.3 Worlds 2012, there was like a two tier finish line. And one of my friends was on the second tier because he was with the media and it's a picture of me looking at him with this grimace on my face, like, ah, and I just, it's like the worst photo ever because I was done. I hated every moment of that race. I couldn't get out of my funk. 
everything was hard. I had just emptied my cup. It was my own fault in, you know, 2020 vision, looking back, it, it was my own fault, but I was just really in a place where I just hated it. And I came home just really sad, really depressed because I had gone to worlds, but I had performed so terribly, at least in my perspective. My family was excited. I had friends who came down there and they were excited for me. And all I could think was, you did such a terrible job. And look at all those people who watched you fail. And that was a really hard place for me. I shed a lot of tears on that drive home and it stuck with me for a long time after that. And it still sticks with me today because the triathlon community is not as forgiving as some communities are. Triathlon is a great sport. I'm not saying it's not, but it is a very competitive sport. It is a very demanding sport. And I was done having those demands on me. I was tired of people looking at my Strava and being like, why is your transition so slow today? You know, was that run hard? Because people were like nitpicking my performances when they didn't even know what was going on. It was just putting me farther and farther and farther into this funk. And I had recovered enough to do another 70.3 the following May here in St. George and actually qualified again for world championships in September, but I didn't go and race. I signed up and then I just decided not to go because it just, it wasn't there. I wasn't passionate about it. I didn't want the eyeballs on me. I didn't want the pressure of performance because I was like, you're just not that great of an athlete. You know, you're going to have to have a spectacular day and you're just not that great of an athlete. So I was really in this funk about it. And at that point, after that happened is where my shift kind of went into ultra marathoning and into trail running and things like that, which was a little more kinder and gentler. And it brought me back around and it gave me something to be excited about. And that's really where I've fallen is into that long distance world that is ultra distance. I just, I just love it. It's just a kinder, gentler place to be for me and for my you know, I'm a very competitive person. I'm a very competitive person with myself. And I had a hard time managing that. That I mean, I could ask you a zillion questions. I was so curious as you were telling the story during that toughest 70.3, I guess the first time you went to Worlds. Like I hear that story and a part of me thinks you persevered and you didn't quit. Like, why didn't you quit? And were you close to quitting at any point, given it seems like you were in a tough spot mentally and physically, it was just as bad. Why, why didn't you quit? I have never quit a race. I've never stopped during a race and I have too much pride. <laughs> to, I to love do that. that. There, there's a lot of ego there. In that race in particular, the run on that course in, it was in Henderson, Nevada. It was a three loop run course. And so we saw the pros and we could see everybody. The only thing that kept me moving on that race was seeing the suffering of everyone else around me. And I mean, there was people throwing up, there was people cramping, there were pros who were walking back with us because it was just a hard day for everybody all around. And the only thing that got me through was I, I said to myself, Colleen, start focusing on other people, stop focusing on yourself. And so I would make it a point to be like, hey, are you okay? You're cramping. Do you want some of my salt pills? Here's some salt pills and I can give you some salt pills. And so I, I had to look outside of myself. And I, I remember seeing some of the pros and being like, they're still walking. 
This is their profession. They don't have to finish this race. If anything, it's detrimental for them to finish this race, but they're still working. So suck it up, buttercup. Focus on some other things. Focus on some other people. Get out of your own head and just finish the race. It was ugly. It was gross. I hated it. But that focusing on other people and connecting, I mean, back to connecting with other people, it took me out of my own head and gave me the ability to actually finish. That's exactly what I was thinking about you as an MC, like, and for like, I do some speaking and when I think about myself on stage, it normally doesn't go well. And if I'm focused on the audience, it goes so much better. And it seems like that's exactly what you do. And, and I was going to ask a follow-up to that, like this, this whole idea of the pain cave and like, you're doing these endurance events, you're doing an Ironman, you're going to be in physical pain. You just can't avoid it. How do you push through that? Do you go somewhere mentally? Do you think about your kids? Like, how do you push through the toughest part of any event? I think I have a really good ability to compartmentalize things because there's different kinds of physical pain. There's physical pain where this is hard and it's long and it's difficult. And then there's physical pain of I'm hurt. Like I am hurting. Something is wrong. And so I think there's two different places. I have the ability to stay in that this is uncomfortable place for a while. And I can stay pretty mentally sharp in that place. I think my biggest, you know, hurdle comes with that, that negative self-talk and that mental things. When things start going south, when I like to be in control and when my plan starts to unravel and I start losing control of that, that's where I have to battle back and be like, it's okay. Let's take 20 minutes. Let's figure this out. And that's what doing ultra distance things has taught me is to kind of let go of some of that control a little bit, like have a well-laid plan, but also have a well-laid, you know, execution around that plan where, okay, if this doesn't work, I have a 20 minute rule where it's like, okay, two salt pills, a couple of drinks of water and wait 20 minutes, see what happens in 20 minutes, then let's reevaluate. And like that kind of thing for me and breaking those things down, because I do think you have to compartmentalize. There's different kinds of pain and I can handle that other kind of pain as long as I'm compartmentalizing and, and just kind of working through and, and solving the puzzle that takes care of my mental side. Oh, I love that. We were just doing an Instagram live and we were talking about exactly that. Like, how do you know if it's an injury or you're, it's just discomfort? And I think that's probably just part of learning your body as well and, and doing so many events like you have. Colleen, what do you say to somebody if they're listening to this, watching this, and they're not a runner, but maybe they want to begin running? And, and I love how you said, of course, you made it sound like 18 years old starting to run was late. Like I started at 35. So good for you for starting at 18. But like, do you have any advice for people that are listening and they've wanted to start running? They just haven't put the shoes on and gone for their first jog, or, or maybe they started and then stopped? Like, do you have advice for those people? I think the best advice is to get your ego out of the way. Put your ego aside. You are just fine. You look just fine. You are fast enough. You are good enough. Just go and do it. And that's something that I struggle with as well, where it's, it's like, just get out there because that movement forward, that's what we're looking for. That longevity and being able to go out. I don't care if you go out for 10 minutes. That's amazing. 
your 10 minutes is like somebody else's hour. So be okay with that. And don't allow that ego to tell you and that voice in your head to tell you, oh, you're not a runner because you just walked for five of those 10 minutes. No, it doesn't matter. Don't even put a label on it. You went out and you did it because an 11 minute miler is going to run a mile just like a six minute miler. They're all gonna go the same distance. It does not matter. And really at the end of the day, who really cares? Don't put it on Strava. Don't worry about it. Do it for yourself because it makes you feel good. And don't worry because people, and this is something I talk to my 16-year-old daughter about all the time. I'm like, people aren't watching you as closely as you think they are. Because sometimes that's our barrier is we're like, everybody's watching me. I'm wearing this sweatshirt because I don't want anybody to see me, but I'm boiling hot because it's too hot out. It's like, you know what? (laughs) People aren't watching you that closely. It's okay. Just do you and get out there and let's celebrate it. And then call me because I will walk you through it because it's like, just <laughs> just go and do it. It's, it's okay, wherever you are, wherever you're starting, whatever you've been through, it's not gonna be pretty, it's not gonna be perfect. Even if you train perfectly and you think you've got it dialed in, it's not going to be perfect and it's okay. That's so true and I love how you said that. I was just talking to a friend about, he wants to go to the gym more, but he thinks everybody's looking at him. And that's exactly the discussion we had. We're like, everybody is thinking about themselves and they could probably care less what you're doing. And I love how you said you compete against you because I think that's a huge, huge takeaway for anybody that's listening to this is it's you versus you, no matter what the event is. And from what I saw, and you do such a good job of this, Colleen, at 29029, and I think Vermont, you had to do 13 or 17 ascents. 17 to, ascents, 17. So you have, to, you have to go up this ski slope 17 times to get to the equivalent of Mount Everest. And I won't say anybody's name, but some of the people that inspired me the most gave everything they had and they got five ascents. But I, like I was inspired just as much as the person that pushed and got 17. Like it's just when you see somebody going past what they feel their limit is, and you highlight that so well on the microphone. It was, I just love that stuff. You, you get yeah. me going, I'm juiced up now, I'm ready to I go. Know. Those are my favorite, those are my favorite stories. You know, at 29 or 29, everyone's working for a red hat because you get a red hat when you complete 29,029 feet. But a lot of those red hats to me, and not, not to diminish anybody's 29,029 feet, but a lot of those are, are they're not, I'm trying, I'm trying to see how to say this. Some of the, the white bibs, some of the people who are doing one, two, three, five, seven, they have struggled just as much as somebody who's went 29,029 feet. And so don't diminish that. Let's just, let's just be, and imagine if we attacked everything in life like that, I'm going to give it my all and I'm totally okay with wherever it falls. If I'm not very good at it, that's okay. I know that now. If it didn't go my way, that's okay. I've learned something and I can go back. If I finish, awesome. Who can I help back up the mountain with me? Let's just all be out there giving our best and also recognizing that the person next to you is giving their best and not not looking and being like, oh, I'm sorry. No, they're giving their best. That's awesome. Let's celebrate everybody's best. That's what's gonna get us all to those summits where we need to be. And now everybody can officially see why Colleen is so good at what she does because everyone listening is like, they wanna go out there and run 10 miles now. You make everybody do that. It's amazing. 
I wish I could some... go with everybody. Let's have a big group and let's all yeah. go together. <laughs> oh, I would love that too. Well, they got to come out to Vermont 29 or 29. Yeah. I think they're all probably sold out, but one day you're, you, you have a bunch of other events people can go to, right? Yeah. I have events all over the place and I, I will be at all the 29 or 29s this year. I also do some work with vacation races who does the national park half marathon. So I do a lot of things with them as well. I do a lot of things locally here in St. George. Some of we have some iconic events down here in Southern Utah. So if you've never been to Southern Utah, I've got some great events that you could do down here as well. So I love it. And tell everybody how they can find you, Colleen. How can they follow your journey or reach out to you? Maybe if they have questions or anything concerning what you talked about. Yeah, I would love to hear from anybody. You can follow me on Instagram at Colleen Rue. And I also have the Instagram handle Voice of the Mountain. So I put a little more content there that's more about races and about events that I'm at. And then you can also follow just my personal journey and some more things kind of in depth with my family and friends over on Colleen Rue, that handle of Colleen Rue. But I'm also on Facebook. So hit me up, give me a DM and tell me what you're doing. I'm so glad you shared that. And when I was reading your bio, we went over, I... I did not know about the Voice of the Mountain Instagram. I got to get on there. I will be following that as soon as we are done with our call here. I'm embarrassed to say it. I almost didn't admit it. I it, didn't want to admit that. It's okay because I, you know, I found it. I got it probably about a year ago because I was like, I wonder if this handle is even available. And so I found it. I was like, well, I'm taking that. There's no question about that. So yes, there is a voice. There's an official Voice of the Mountain Instagram as well that I run. So I love it. And Sidebar, when I met Colleen the first time, I thought I had her title down. And I don't know if you remember this, but I called you the <laughs> yeah. mouth of the mountain and I felt like an idiot right after I said that. <laughs> the mouth oh. of the mountain. I've been called the mom of the mountain. It all oh, works. It all that's works. good. It all works because it's it's basically all the same thing. So I I don't take offense to any of it. No, you didn't seem to, but you also gave me this look like, Matt, that's, that's not what it is. That, that's not <laughs> no, my name. It's the voice of the mountain, Matt. Right. <laughs> I, didn't, I have not screwed it up since, and I will never mess it up again. All right, Colleen, are you ready? At the end of the podcast, we go through the final three questions. Nobody knows what questions are coming. I like to switch it up. So I'm going to fire three at you if you're ready. I'm ready. Let's do it. All right, here we go. I'm excited to ask you all three of these, but the first one, I'm really pumped for what are you, and this could be in any area of your life that you want to talk about. What are you most grateful for? Mm. The cool thing is you have a lot to be, I mean, you've I done, do. I'm so no. blown away by how much you've done in your life. I do. I have so much to be grateful for. Um, what am I grateful for? I like, like, what's the the thing I'm, I'm grateful for the people in my life, all of them, whether they're family, friends, whether they're people, because those people, I say it over and over again, they fill my cup. And without them, it was like today, I went to the radio station to do some work and I was kind of feeling like a subpar parent, as you can probably see, as I've been talking about today, I was kind of feeling like a subpar parent. And he said something so nice to me because he had seen that what we had done for Easter, he's like, you are such a good mom. And I was like, oh, I needed that. So like the people in my life, I have amazing, tremendous people in my, my life, family and friends. I love it. And I have a feeling, I know you're probably not going to say this, but I'll say it. They are a reflection of you, I'm sure. Like you attract great people in your life because that's who you are. I mean, everybody that's listened to this that just met you for the last hour 
it's probably going to be pretty obvious to them. Like, it just seems like you attract amazing, amazing people in your life. So kudos to you for that. I'm giving you all the credit for who you surround yourself with. Thank you. That's nice. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's the truth. Okay. What is the biggest obstacle you have overcome since day one on this planet? Ooh, the biggest obstacle. I think for me, my biggest obstacle, I went through a divorce really young. I was 20 years old and it rocked my foundation. And I feel like now as a 43-year-old, looking back, overcoming that in my life, like becoming a new person and, and watching that come full circle, there's been some things in my life that have allowed that relationship to come full circle where it's like, okay, there's some closure there and there's some peace there and there's some understanding there. And I'm proud of that. I'm proud that I can look back and say, you know what? I'm glad I went through that at my young age. I'm glad that I struggled through that in my 20s. And I'm glad that I had those lessons to learn that have brought me here because I I feel like I can look back with a lot more understanding and I can also share that understanding with other people who might be in those same situations. That's a really good answer. And that's, uh, and I need to acknowledge you too, because as most people know, I recently went through a divorce and Colleen has been, and I know I sent it to you offline, but I'll throw it out there. Some of the DMs that you sent me in text messages meant a ton to me. So you've been extremely helpful, probably more so than you even know. So I appreciate your response to that. And I appreciate all your help and mentorship and friendship. Oh, well, I appreciate it right back. It's good. We attract each other. That's that's exactly right. All right. Last question. Here we go. Tomorrow is going to be, you you don't have any plans yet tomorrow, but it's going to be your perfect day. It's just going to be, everything is going to flow. You're going to be euphoric, joyful, et cetera. What does your day look like tomorrow? This is easy for me because this is a bucket list for me. I'm going to be in Jackson Hole, Wyoming. It's going to be summertime. There's not going to be any snow on the trails that I want to run. And I'm going to go into the backcountry, probably with my husband, maybe a couple of other close friends that were all close in like pace and everything. And we are going to go run like a 30 mile loop up in the Grand Tetons. And at the end of the day, we're going to come back. My kids are going to be there and we're going to sit and we'll eat pizza and we'll relax in the shadow of those amazing mountains. I love that. Now you're saying that as in, have you been there before and it's been snowing or you've never been there? I I have. I go to Grand Teton National Park about every single year. There's generally too much snow. So we end up like in spikes and, and going up. But there's something for me about those mountains. There is something about those canyons. I get up there and I'm like, wow, like this, I could stay here forever. I could leave everything behind and just be in the mountains up there. There's just something special there for me. My husband always, he, he would know my answer to that question anytime because he's like, oh, she would go to Jackson Hole. <laughs> I she'd love go to that. Jackson Hole, she'd go hiking and then she'd sit in her house that she can't afford looking at the Tetons. So. 
I have to say, I've asked quite a few people that question. I don't think I've ever heard such a specific response. Like, I love that. It's you're you're gonna. It's going to happen. You're just. Oh, you're, oh it's gonna happen. It's gonna happen. It, even if it's a tent door, it's going to happen. Like, I'm going <laughs> to be there, and I've. I, I am. I'm manifesting it out to the world. Or I tell Colin O'Brady, I'm like, I'm just going to live in your backyard. So one or the other, it's going to happen. So <laughs> I love that. Oh, I, now you have to let me know and let us know when that day happens because I want to okay. celebrate with you. I'm excited to hear about it. I will. You should come. It, it'll be great. <laughs> that would be. A, I, I also love that most people are like, want to be sitting, relaxing, drinking a daiquiri and you want to be out running 30 miles. Like, I love that. I think that's so cool. I know the exact loop. I've got it all planned. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Colleen, I, I mean, I was, I told her before we got on here, I was pumped all day for this and I, I knew you would bring it as you always do. I thank you for your time and valuable nuggets that you dropped on us. I have three sheets of paper filled with comments on what you were talking about. So thanks for just being you and thanks for being a part of my life and thanks for sharing and being so open and willing to share so many different areas of your life and experiences. Oh, thank you. It's been so much fun. This has been great. I, I love it. I love any opportunity that I get to visit with you because you just fill my cup too. And I'm just excited and pumped to just continue on doing what we're doing and connecting with people. So it's good. I stuff. love it. Thank you. I consider you a, a great friend, by the way, Colleen sends some amazing, uh, I think you sent me a few videos before. Oh, I need to acknowledge you for that too. Before that Goggins challenge, you sent me a video and it, it probably took you 20 seconds to film it. And it meant so much to me. And I showed our team just stuff like that. Like you add value in so many cool ways to people's lives. And it just meant a lot to me. So I appreciate oh, your friendship. Good. I'm glad. I'm glad. Well, it's, it's important. Those are the most important connections we can make. So let's foster them any way we possibly can. We're fostering. I'll see you in uh, four short months. I'm excited. Yes, for sure. Yeah. Vermont. <laughs> Vermont. Hey, Colleen, thanks again for coming on. Colleen Rue on Instagram and the voice of the mountain on Instagram, right? That's it. We'll put it in the show notes too. Thanks everybody for listening or watching and we will see you all next week. Thanks for listening to another episode of Living the Dream with Matt Scaletti. I'm so grateful for you. Please share this podcast on your social media so others can benefit from this valuable content. Also, please subscribe to my podcast because if you aren't, I am watching you. (laughs) Check me out on social media and message me if you need me as your keynote speaker at Matt Scaletti on social media. I respond to all messages. Thanks and I love you so much. Oh, 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 oh,